Greetings, Earthlings, and welcome back to another episode of Chat with Rack, the only podcast about Michigan State University's Department of Writing, Rhetoric, and American Cultures. I'm your guide, Justice Curry, here to take you on another adventure within the Rack Department. Joining us today is Kate Birdsall. How you doing? I'm hanging in there. How are you? I am also hanging in there. Can you um can you tell me a bit about yourself and what you do in Rack? Oh wow. What do you want to know? Um I am an assistant professor. I primarily teach in professional and public writing. My focus has been for a long time editing and publishing, but I've recently pivoted to include community publishing, which I'm super excited about. Um, I also direct The Cube, which is a kind of umbrella, amorphous, wizard behind the curtain organization that helps us run our publications and take on cool new projects. So can you tell me um, a little bit more about The Current and, you know, what you do there and like the type of like publications that you guys do? Oh, The Current is so cool. It's, uh, it's the magazine. And a long time ago, it was Ing Magazine. Uh, so we turned Ing Magazine, which was kind of light and fluffy, to hard-hitting, socially justice-focused publication. Um, but we it were available online at thecurrentmsu.com. And we would very much like for everyone to read our pieces. Your pieces look amazing. And I was going to say, like, when I first got into PW at the time, I heard about Ing Magazine and I was really curious about it. And now that you mentioned that, you know, you had to shut it down, I, I just thought about it in the back of my mind, like, what happened to Ing Magazine? And so now I know that it's technically the current now. It is. It's still a magazine production class. Um, and what I hear semester after semester is it's more like a job than a class, which I feel a little weird about because it's like you all paid to be here, right? We're not paying you. But it, it's so amazing to me that a group of, you know, anywhere between 12 and 20 students can show up every semester and just get it and make it work and have this cohesive voice and care about these issues that are so incredibly relevant and and be willing to put themselves out there and do it. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. Yeah. I was going to actually ask like how students can become a part of the current and, you know, work with the current. Sign up for WRA 480. I really encourage students to take it for two semesters because then the second semester, you already know what's going on. You're going to take on a more managerial kind of role. I think that that just makes for such great experience. I mean, not just to put on your resume, but, you know, to narrate in a job interview, to have in your portfolio. It's, I mean, I think it's great, but I teach it, so. (laughs) Are there any prerequisite classes necessary to take this class? Um, 202, for sure. Technically, 370 is a prerequisite, but I am known for giving overrides into that class. I I like 370 maybe as a co-requisite or, you know, tell me about your editing experience because editing is a big, big part of it. But I'm I'm always willing to have a conversation with people and see where they are and whether it's a good fit. When I first heard about Ing, I thought it was one of those things where you had to like have so much experience like prior to be able to do it. And so it's, it's really awesome to hear that you know, all you have to do is take a couple classes and it's not a super exclusive thing. Because when I first saw it, I was really intimidated and I was like, oh, this seems like so exclusive. Not at all. It's where you get the experience. So 
going back to like editing and publishing, can you tell us some skills that are necessary for becoming a successful editor and publisher? That's a complicated question, Justice. Um, I think the first thing you have to be is a writer. Editing, and in particular developmental editing, or in the fiction world, we would call that line editing, is all about internalizing the writer's voice and then developing a picture of the very best version of the thing you're editing and helping the writer to get it there. Do you think it's possible to be both uh, a, like write your own book and then also edit it? Or would that be extremely overwhelming? <laughs> that would be, dare I say, impossible um, because we all get so attached to our own work. We think of writers, you know, like the great American novelist as toiling away over a typewriter and then submitting the finished manuscript and it's published exactly as is. And that is just not the case. There is a team of people working to make it better. What was your path to becoming an editor and publisher? Well, I'm technically not a publisher. Um, I mean, the cube, the cube is a publisher. We just published our first book, the uh, Rio Town Anthology with Dr. Matt Rossi. It's, it, my path to becoming an editor was that I was a writer for a really long time and had to edit my first novel. But working with the editors just really like, what you are doing is amazing. And then I, I got a gig as, as a subcontractor for an independent publisher. And now I, I work as a line editor. So I like to envision myself as that person. How did you know, like, I know you mentioned, you know, you, you say like you saw what editors do and you were like, this is amazing. But how did you know that that was something that was right for you? Not to toot my own horn, but I'm a good writer. Then I was fortunate enough with the publication of my first book to have that experience with both my content editor and my line editor. And I just became like enamored with seeing how they took what I thought was a really good draft and made it so tight and easy to read. And I kind of wanted to be that person, right? So I got into it. And, you know, I mean, I've been teaching for a really long time. And uh, part of that time I've spent teaching creative writing. And in creative writing, you know, we always talk about the importance of peer review, the importance of editing, but then to have it play out in my own creative life just inspired me to want to do it. So I was like, okay, I'll do it. So what is, what is a typical day in the life of an editor? That's a good question because again, I'm a lowly subcontractor. I get a project every two weeks usually, depending on word count, and I have two weeks to complete the project. So I have to get it done really quickly. Um, but you know, typically you get a project, you take a look at it, you figure out your time management on it, but you really do have to let the writer teach you, right? Because if we look back to envision the best version of this, you've got to learn pretty quickly what the best version of it is going to be and then make the recommendations to get it there. Do you find that you have a better experience or a better outcome with your edits when you have that connection with the client? Not necessarily with the client, but with their work and especially with their voice. And so if I can get in into the story, I'm going to do a better job editing, but I'm probably also going to miss more kind of nitpicky mechanical things because I'm into the story. How do you build a name for yourself in, in editing? 
I think the way to do it is by doing it, right? So jump in, take the current, the, the 480 class, you know, look for opportunities to edit around the department. If those opportunities aren't coming up, be willing to edit for free small pieces for your portfolio. But really it's, it's word of mouth and keeping your clients. Well, I'm curious to know, what are some job opportunities for students in editing that are less talked about? So, you know, one day you might end up in New York working for a publisher as an agent, et cetera. And we do have those success stories, but it's far more likely that you'll end up, you know, working on a local publication. I think it's too easy to get locked into this sort of Devil Wears Prada narrative when it's far more likely that first editing job is going to be either freelance or a smaller local publication. So we have two questions from Zaria. And the first question is, how can you create a legitimate platform for publishing written pieces as an independent writer? First of all, as an independent writer, make sure you have an editor and not just a, a dev editor, right? Make sure you have a proofreader. If you've got long pieces like novel length stuff, you can publish directly to Amazon. I am not condoning Amazon as an institution, but it is the, the first logical place for an independent author to get his, her, their work out there. I think most of the, the successful indie, and by indie, I mean truly independent, don't have a publisher, authors, do a combination of things. So they get, they get their books out on Amazon. Their books are quality. They're edited. They have a nice cover. They look professional. And then on their website, they get a little free thing going where like if you sign up for the newsletter, you get to read this free story. And I know quite a few people who have really built a name that way. But it, it, you know, it depends for short stories. You kind of got to send them out and try to get them published. Poetry is the same thing. Good to know. And another question from Zarya. What's the best way to pitch ideas to editors slash publishers? If you're writing nonfiction, you can pitch an idea. If you're a fiction writer, you got to have a whole manuscript. If you're going to go the agent route, I would recommend looking into Pitch Madness on Twitter. Have your book written so that if they want to read the whole thing, you can send it. You're going to have to write a query letter in which you do some comparisons. So you're, you're comparing what you have written to established stuff. And then... Probably the hardest document I've ever had to write in my life is a one-page synopsis that tells the entire story from beginning to end, including the ending. But getting a book published is project management, just like anything else we do. It's a process. It is. And very few writers make a living writing. You just, I'm, I'm about to shed a tear. I'm sorry. You're going to make me cry. Well, you got to find a day job that you tolerate and make sure that it doesn't take all of your, your writing time. My heart. I'm not it saying just, it's impossible. It just broke. It just broke. Hey, prove me wrong. Absolutely. You know what? You're absolutely right. But you yeah. know, this is, this is the reality, you know, I've, I, I kind of figured that would be the case, um, considering a lot of a lot of writers that I, I looked up to that have had, you know, best-selling books, you know, they, they took like 20 years to write those books or it took them 20 years to get a best-selling book. Like it's, it's not about, it's not a race per se, but it's really, it's a journey. Absolutely. You know, and you write, you, you get 38 rejections and then your 39th manuscript is the winner. But 
publishing is so dependent on the market. I'll give you an example. My detective series is set in Cleveland, Ohio. I grew up near Cleveland. And um, my agent, you know, super excited, pitching, pitching, pitching. And a, a big five editor <laughs> legit wrote back to her and said, this is fantastic and we love it. But right now we're only buying mystery that's set in exotic locations. I would cry. Oh, I, I had some moments with that one because it was like, we were so, can we just change? But then it's like, no, you know, as, as I'm not going to give up my artistic integrity and, you know, pretend this is set in Brazil or something like, but that, that was the kind of feedback we got. <laughs> I'm just at a loss for words because it's, if the book is good, then why? Because it depends on the market, right? Anyway. Um, so I, yeah, I mean, I guess then, then my advice becomes you <laughs> buckle up <laughs> um, because trying to get published is a wild ride and it is filled with absolutely ego crushing moments. You know, just to close out, like what advice would you give to someone that's interesting in pursuing editing or, and, or publishing? Don't give up. And, and freelance editing is the way the whole industry is moving. And with writing, you just, you've got to take rejection after rejection after rejection. And then finally, someone will see the light and will recognize your brilliance and pair you with a great editor and publish you. Uh, that might take a while. So in the meantime, don't give up. Amazing words. And, you know, I'm definitely going to keep that in my mind. That's, that's also kind of how I feel about, you know, about music as well, because I also create music and just like, you know, I know I'm probably going to end up breaking, uh, you know, a nine to five or whatnot, but, you know, because I love making music, I'm still going to make it regardless of any, if anyone's listening to it. So, yes. And the thing about work, right, we all have this idea of this is what my career is going to be. But at the end of the day, you're working so that you can pay your bills so that when you're not working, you can do things that bring you joy. This is such an inspiring, like, just conversation. And just, <laughs> well, <thank you. laughs> I'm just, I'm very happy to, you know, have gotten the opportunity to speak with you, to meet you officially. Yeah, absolutely. It's been delightful. And to have this amazing conversation, like, this is awesome. And is there, you know, any, anything you want to plug before we go? Both of my books are in Kindle Unlimited right now. Book one is called The Flats. And book two is called The Heights. They're both Liz Boyle mysteries. Thank you so much for, pleasure. for being here. And just, I really enjoyed interviewing you. Yeah, and this was great. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Chat with Rack. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Chat with Rack and tell us what topic you'd like to hear next. Don't be a stranger. 